All right, well, if you have a Bible, can you open it to Psalm chapter 30? Psalm chapter 30, it is page 461 in the black Bibles you'll see under the chairs if you want to grab one of those and follow along if you don't have a Bible with you. Page 461, Psalm chapter 30. Our series in the Psalms, we've called Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms Collide. The idea is that we are crashing against uh, the hope that we have that God is conquering all these immediate circumstances that we struggle with. That we are up and down, we've got good days, we've got bad days, but we trust, we hope that God is saving us, that God is rescuing us. And so the Psalms give us a, a way to practice that. The Psalms give us a, an example of how to pray, how to sing, how to worship God in the, in the ups and downs of, of real life, the ups and downs of, of uh, the struggles that we go through in normal life. This week, we're calling it Collide with Thanks, and it worked out pretty well. This is Thanksgiving week, and uh, as I was studying the psalm, I hadn't picked it for this day because of that, but it just, just kind of worked out that that's really the major focus of this psalm. We're focusing on Thanksgiving in this psalm. Uh, a lot of us will practice Thanksgiving in different ways. I think most Americans practice Thanksgiving to some degree. Some of you might post things on Facebook that you're thankful for. My family has a thankful board where we put stuff on a poster board throughout the month. You may just gather and eat turkey and celebrate God's goodness through a feast, right? Uh, we do different things to celebrate and to give thanks to God for his provision. Uh, the author of the psalm here, this is a psalm of David. He shows us that God is the one that we give thanks to because of what God has done. Amen. So we could get distracted by how we give thanks, right? We could kind of get off on a rabbit trail about, well, I give thanks this way or that way. The psalmist is really assuming that the principal way we're giving thanks in context here is in corporate worship. Uh, the Bible also blows that up and says there's a lot of other things we do throughout our life, ways that we express God's goodness besides singing, besides gathering for corporate worship. But that's kind of the assumption is we're going to do it verbally through song, through what we say, but the reason is really important. The reason we give thanks is because of what God has done for us. We're not thanking God because of how awesome we are. We're thanking God for how great He is, and we'll see that come up again and again here in Psalm 30. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought me up, up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper." You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us today. God, we ask for your help with this text. Um, God, often the holiday time is a time of craziness in our culture, and we pray that you would give us... Uh, just the supernatural ability to see you at work, to acknowledge your goodness, to praise you, to give thanks to you. 
God, I pray for those, that, those of us that, that aren't feeling it today, Lord, that you would open our, our hearts, open our minds, that we would be open-minded to you to see what you're doing in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like most of you growing up in America, I, I grew up kind of with a typical Thanksgiving celebration, having a big feast on Thanksgiving. And when I was about six, I remember one time where we had all of the family at our place. You know, sometimes we'd go to the grandparents' house, or sometimes we'd go to some other place, or even a friend's house in town. This time, we were celebrating Thanksgiving at our house, and we had all the family there. And I remember feeling really thankful when I smelled the turkey. Um, I don't know if y'all like turkey, but I loved it. I've always loved eating, I think even more when I was a kid. It's one of the gifts that God has given me. Um, but I just love to smell, you know, fresh food being cooked in the oven, and that turkey smelled so perfect and so good. I was feeling over, just overflowing with thankfulness. My mom took the turkey out of the oven, and it, it was in what I believe is called a Dutch oven. Do y'all know this word? It's like a giant pot, right? So the turkey's in this giant pot. She brings it out of the oven and it places it on the stove, I guess, to get everything else ready. It's kind of cooling off a little bit, and it smells so good. It is just overpowering. The smell is just filling the room. And so as a six-year-old, I just want to, I want to get closer to its presence, right? I want to come into that, that space and, and really enjoy it and really be thankful. So I'm getting up close, and I just want to, I just want to smell it, right? I just want to soak it in. So I get right up to the edge of it, and I lean over to smell that turkey. And my little, you know, six-year-old leg shakes a little bit, I guess, and I slip into the turkey. Yeah. And it burned my lip. And so the rest of Thanksgiving and on into December, I had this big nasty scab on top of my lip, right? That was, that was the wrong way to give thanks. I, I would not recommend that. Don't smell the turkey because then you might get teased like I was by my, my jolly uncles then teased me and said I was trying to kiss the turkey. Um, we want to celebrate. We want to give thanks. But sometimes it goes wrong, Right? Sometimes it doesn't work out well, and I was encouraged this week as I was looking at this. Again, it's not so much about the means, because obviously I've got a bad track record when it comes to the means of giving thanks, right? Kissing the turkey, smelling the turkey didn't work out so well for me. But what God emphasizes in this psalm, through through the psalmist, through David writing this, is that uh, God is the one that fixes our life. God is the one that heals us. God is the one that rescues us. God is the one that loves us. God is the one that corrects us, and we give thanks to him for what he's doing. So it's really not about us. It's about him. We respond out of thanksgiving for what he's done. It's about what he is doing. And so the first thing that I think we're going to focus on in the first few verses is God's healing. God heals us. Now, sometimes that's physical and miraculous and amazing. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it is uh, spiritual healing. The scriptures talk about all different kinds of healing, but God is the God of salvation. Salvation literally means healing. Uh, it's, it's come to mean in kind of our vernacular, the way we think about it, we think about Jesus saving us. We always immediately think of, Jesus saves me from e- you know, eternal damnation. Jesus saves my soul. And we think of that as a spiritual word. But the word salvation in the Bible is a, it's a medical word. It's a healing word. It's a being restored to wholeness, right? We're broken and God fixes us. He heals us. And so we give thanks to him for fixing us and for healing us. Verse 2 says it this way in the psalm. It says, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Psalmist says, you healed me. So he's celebrating that God is a healer. In verse 1, it says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. Extol is kind of like, I'll exalt you. I'll say how 
great you are. I will say how awesome and mighty you are, God. God, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. So it's this idea of you've lifted me up, God, out of a bad spot, so I'm going to lift you up with my words. I'm going to declare how great you are. It says, you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. The picture, the word picture with drawn me up is the same Hebrew word they would have used for drawing water out of a well. So a lot of commentators would say that in these first few verses, you have some, some poetry here, right? It's a psalm, it's a song, there's poetry. So you've got these contrasts between uh, things being lifted up and things being down low, right? And so the idea is we're down low, God lifts us up, and then we lift God up among our friends, among the community, saying God is awesome because he's lifted me up, so I'll lift God up. So it says, I'll extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Verse 3 says, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. We talked last week, again, Hebrew parallelism. It's a, it's a common marker of Hebrew poetry. They'll say something, and then they'll say the same thing again. And so if you're confused about Sheol and having your soul brought up from Sheol, he restates it in the second half of verse 3. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sheol is this uh, Hebrew word that is a general word meaning the realm of the dead or the grave. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't have as much specific teaching about resurrection and life after death as we get in the New Testament, but they still had the concept. You'll hear different theories bounced around by different teachers, but it's clear it's more foggy, right? It's more vague in the Old Testament. So it's more of a general sense of death, the grave, right? And we'll get this later on at the end of it. The psalmist is saying, you know, what good do I do to you, God, in the grave? Because your goal for me is to influence the community, and if I'm dead in the grave, I can't influence the community. And so the focus is on our earthly life and God working through us in our earthly life. It's not like they didn't have a conception of life after death. It just wasn't as clear. It was, it was more vague. So when you see this word Sheol, you could, you could substitute the grave or death. So he's saying, my soul was teetering on the brink of death and you, you lifted me up. You, you brought me up. So as you restored me as I was going down to the pit. So again, the kind of language of exalting and being down low. And the idea is that God is the one that does the rescuing. And that's a hallmark of historic Christianity, that we honor God as the rescuer. The story of Christianity is not that humans climbed a ladder to heaven, but that God climbed a ladder down to earth. That's really the story of Christianity, that God left heaven to come after us in the person of Jesus Christ, that he died in our place and he gives us his righteousness and he pursues us in his love and justice. And so we have this picture of we're rescued, and because we're rescued, we're going to praise God. I have a picture here of someone being pulled out of the water, got a lifeguard pulling a kid out of the ocean. Maybe this has happened to you. When we first started the church, we had a lady that pulled a kid up out of the bottom of the water and had to resuscitate him. She was horrified by the experience. Obviously, the parents were glad that she was able to rescue this child. It was still a scary experience. I remember one time my son, when he was younger and didn't really know how to swim, rescuing him out of the water. The word picture, just like I said earlier, is this is drawing water up like out of a well. It's like we're down in a pit, God pulls us out of that pit. And I think throughout scripture, we give thanks to God for multiple kinds of healing, multiple kinds of rescue. We, we kind of believe here that David's talking about physical sickness. He's talking about a physical healing. But we also see that God uh, emotionally rescues us, right? You can be in an emotional 
pit. You can be in a place of despair, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. And God rescues you from that place, and you are to give thanks to him for that. You can be physically sick, and now you're better, and you are to give thanks to God for that. You can uh, be spiritually going down to the pit. That's one of the things we celebrate as Christians. We say that we're born again, meaning that God has given us new life, that we were spiritually dead. But by faith in Jesus, we now have hope. We now have new life, and he's brought us up out of the grave. That last song we just sang, Jesus conquered the grave. That is our hope, that he rescued us from the pit of death, that we have a future beyond the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we are all wasting our time. This is just a waste of time. But if Jesus conquered the grave, then we will also conquer the grave, and that's our hope. And so we can all, like the psalmist, give thanks to God for healing us, for healing us spiritually, rescuing us from the grave, for healing us physically. We've all been sick and been healed. For healing us emotionally, we've all been depressed and then set straight again and been able to rejoice again, and we are to give God the praise for that healing. Whether it comes through the help of a friend, the help of a doctor, the help of the right medicine, I mean, the Bible always acknowledges secondary means. The Bible always acknowledges secondary causes, that that God uses stuff in the world. We're not denying that when we thank God for it, right? Like if you have a a friend that's cheered you up, you're still to give thanks to God for cheering you up. If you have a doctor that's helped you and now you're healthy again, you're to give thanks to God for healing you. Sometimes it's just obvious and miraculous. We have a a lady here, Paula Milburn, who had cancer. We prayed. It was gone, right? I mean, that's just, it kind of surprises you, right? We all believe God can do this, but then when he does it, we're we're freaked out. (laughs) But we're to give God thanks for that. But some of you, you have a sickness. You go to the doctor. The doctor gives you medicine. You're healed through scientific secondary means But that's still God that's doing that. That's still God that's providing that. That's what we do at Thanksgiving is we thank God, right? Think of the first pilgrims at Thanksgiving thanking God for their harvest. They didn't say, well, I'm not going to thank God because I worked really hard farming these crops. No, they thanked God for giving the growth, for giving the abundance. And that's what we do too. It's not like we're smarter than these people. Now that we know how things work in the scientific age... We no longer want to give thanks to God because we understand secondary things. You know, we tend to think that way, like that in the Bible, they were in the Stone Age and they were too dumb to realize how farming worked or too dumb to realize how medicine worked. So that's why they thanked God. No, they understood these things too. They may not have understood all the same things that we understand. There's a lot of stuff they knew that we don't know though too, right? I mean, we're kind of stupid in a lot of ways now in modern times. So it's not about the secondary means. God is the provider. Even if there's a farmer involved, even if there's medicine involved, God's the provider. God is the healer. God is the one that gives us uh, what we are to uh, acknowledge him for that and say, thank you, God. Praise God for that. So praise God this week. Praise God for physical provision and thank God for spiritual provision. So what we acknowledge that God gave us in Jesus is rescue from the pit of death, that our sins were laid on the cross on Jesus and that his righteousness was given to us as a gift so that we can be adopted forever into God's family as his child. He delights in us. He loves us because of what Jesus has done, and he's healed us. The next thing that we see as we move through the psalm, through verses 4 through 7, is that we should thank God for correcting us. This one's a little harder to see, um, and 
It's kind of like if you read it a few times, you'll start to recognize it here, and especially if you cross-reference with David's life, like in 2 Samuel chapter 24, you'll see some of these things where you realize that David had done some stupid things, and God had to set him right. Um, it says in verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, is the Hebrew word hasadim. It basically means those who are uh, recipients of his loving kindness, his grace. That's what the saints mean. Saints aren't a special category of superhero Christians, which is how a lot of us were taught growing up. Uh, but saints means God's people. That's what it means in the Old Testament. That's what it means in the New Testament as well. It's God's people. They're loved by God. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. So there's an assumption that God's people will sing to him, right? We talked about this last week. I said, let's set the bar low of some kind of basic participation, smile, and sing loudly, right? Some of you can't sing worth a lick, but at least sing, okay? Just make a joyful noise, participate. It's assumed that that's what saints do. They sing praises to the Lord and give thanks to his holy name. And then he says, why? Why do we do this? For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. So God sometimes shows anger in his correction of us. But it doesn't last. It's temporary. He's, he's correcting us. He's setting us straight. It says, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. And then weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The word tarry means hang out and stay a while. It's one of my biggest gripes about the ESV translation. Occasionally, they throw in ancient language that we don't use. Any of you use tarry in your everyday conversation? Okay, I didn't think so. A couple of you. Okay. Um, some of you do. Okay. All right. A few of you do. I, I, my dream Bible would be like, kind of melting down the NIV and ESV and, and stirring it together. That would be my dream, but it hasn't come out yet. So good little translation with some weird old-fashioned words occasionally. Weeping may tarry for the night. It might, it might be there for a little while, but joy comes with the morning. That's the hope that we have, right? We may go through bad things, hard things for a little while, but we have hope that it's not permanent because we belong to God. Again, we're his saints, we're his people, we're adopted by his love, not by our impressiveness, but by his love, and so we hope in him. And he says in verse 6, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. And this is where we see David going wrong. David said, in my wealth, in my prosperity, I started beating my chest, and I said, I will never be moved. Now, most commentators believe that this is referencing 2 Samuel 24, where David was doing a census of his fighting men. Uh, in Exodus chapter 30, it makes it clear in the law that they were to never do a census without redeeming every man that they counted. So God had set up a system where you had to make a sacrifice to say, this man really belongs to God, not the king. So if you ever counted your men, you had to do these elaborate sacrifices to say, this man belongs to God. This man belongs to God. This man belongs to God. Apparently, David didn't do that. Apparently, David said, I, I will not be moved. I have a great army, and I'm going to count my army, and I'm going to show how great my army is. And God was angry. God was angry at David for what he did. David was bowing up, and so it says in verse 7, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. So David's now acknowledging I thought it was me, but it was your favor, God. It wasn't me. It was what you did that made my mountain strong, that made my fortress strong. It wasn't that I was this great warrior. It was your favor in my life. And he goes on and he says, you hid your face. I was dismayed. David says, basically, I was undone. I came apart. 
I recognize now that I was only strong because you made me strong. And when you turned your face from me, it all melted away. And what I think David is saying here is that we can hope in the Lord and trust him to correct us. When we become arrogant, when we begin to think it's about us, when we say things like, David, I shall never be moved, right? Do you ever have things go well in your life and you look in the mirror and you think, I'm awesome, right? Maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just King David. I don't know. But we fall into this thinking, I've done this. Look at what I've done. Look at my resume. Look at my accomplishments. And that's what David was doing. And David was saying, and God turned away for just a moment, and it all just, it all vanished. It all melted away. We're only strong because God makes us strong. And so God will sometimes turn his face. God will sometimes remove that blessing and that strength from us as a means of correcting us. And because we're his child, we see it most clearly in the gospel, he's, he gave the life of his son for us. He loves us. He's adopted us. We, we don't stop being his child. So it's temporary, right? It says it's, it's temporary. When he turns his face, he says in verse 5, his anger is just for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It's this momentary turning of God's face of letting everything fall apart so we go, okay, it's you. It wasn't me. I didn't build this. You built this. I didn't make myself strong. You made me strong. So we acknowledge him and give thanks to him. He corrects us. He sets our course straight. Now, this can be even more terrifying when it's not for a moment. Romans 1 gives us a picture of God's wrath being poured out on mankind by giving us over to our desires. And that's, that's the worst. That's the horror. The, the lightning bolt of God's wrath. His true wrath is shown in him saying, okay, you can do what you want. You can live life on your own. And that's what Romans 1 makes clear. And as you follow that argument along in Romans, it, it shows us too, the only way out of that is the gospel. The only answer to that is a God who would intercede, who would break into us being slaves to our own desires. He would break into that and say, there's something even greater that you desire, and it's me. And he reveals himself to us through Jesus, through Jesus taking our sins, through Jesus giving us his life and his righteousness. Well, as I said, the assumed way that we're going to respond to this humbling, the assumed way that we're going to respond to this correction that God brings in our life is we're going to sing praises to God. Again, that's the, that's the assumed way. I've got a picture here. Um, of the choir, just again to remind you, I think I said this last week as well, you're the choir. I'm sorry we don't have enough robes for all of you, but you're all in the choir, okay? You're all in the choir. We gather on Sundays to sing praises to God. And one of the reasons that we gather to sing praises to God is to acknowledge that he's a loving father that will correct you. He's not going to let you run wild. He's going to correct you. He's going to show you the right way. He's going to restore you. His anger may last for a little while, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. And that's the hope that we have. And so we sing. The New Testament also says there's other things we do besides singing, though, right? We don't want to just fixate on the corporate and the formal practices of giving thanks to God. There's other ways that we give thanks to God. And one of the ways that we give thanks to God as a community of saints, it talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that because of the mercies of God, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It's this idea that we give every day of our life over to God to, to be a sacrifice for others. So because Jesus was a sacrifice for us, we want to be a sacrifice for other people. So we're going to give of our time and our emotion. We're going to listen to people. We're going to help people. We're going to love people. God's going to use us throughout the week. And that's one of the ways that we sing praises to God as well. 
I think another important thing to take note of is that David has a humble posture before God. He recognizes that he bowed up and he said, I shall never be moved. God removed his face. God hid his face. David crumbled and responded in humility. So David comes back and responds in humility. There's all going to be, for all of us, there are going to be places in our life where we've come to the end of our rope, right? Where we've said, this is not working. I'm an idiot. I need God to help me. I need God to help me out of this mess. I want to really encourage you. Our, our culture has this understanding of grace that says God doesn't care, right? That that's what grace means, that God loves you as you are in the sense of come as you are and he'll never change you. I want you to see here in the text that God wants to change you. He wants you to make you into something better than you are. So there is grace, but, but grace implies forgiveness, right? Jesus took your sins upon himself on the cross. That implies we have sins. That, that implies we do stuff wrong, and God wants to change that in our life. That doesn't mean we have to clean ourselves up before we come to him, right? We trust him to clean us up through the cross. We, we can come as, you, as we are. Come as you are. Come to him, trusting that he's accepting and he's loving and he's gracious. But recognize in coming as you are that he wants to forgive you of those sins. He wants to forgive you of your stupidity, of my stupidity, of going the wrong way. He wants to correct us. He wants to turn us so that we're living in a new way. So if you're struggling in the area of sexual purity, if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling in how you treat people on a day-to-day basis, God wants to change you. He loves you. He's proven that through Jesus, but he wants to help you too. So I'd encourage you to have a a posture of humility and and ask other people for help. This is what our small groups are for. It's for you coming alongside other people and saying, will you pray for me? Can you help me? That's what Celebrate Recovery is about, gathering on Monday nights, saying, "I'm, I'm struggling. I want God to change me, not coming along and just going, God accepts me, so I'm never going to change, but saying, I want to change. I want to live the way God wants me to live. Even though sometimes my desires are in in contrast to what God says, I I want him to change my desires. I want him to change my heart. I want to live in a new way. And and so come come for help. Ask a friend for help. Ask another believer in your context, in your circle of friends. Call the church office. Talk to one of the pastors or talk to one of the ministry leaders whose names are on the back of the bulletin. But, But let us help you. Don't just give up the way the culture often does and says, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. It, it doesn't matter. God loves you. His posture is a posture of grace towards you, but he wants to take hold of you and adopt you into his family and then train you. He wants to, he wants to change us. He wants to help us grow up. The, the last thing that we see is that we should thank God for using us. God wants to use us. And we see this really interesting kind of debate that he gets into with God and his prayer here. So let's look at uh, verse 8. He says in verse 8, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? So he's basically saying, God, it's, it's not going to profit you if you kill me, so why don't you save me, right? He goes on and he says, Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So he's saying, God, I'm not going to be able to praise you if you kill me, so why don't you heal me? so that I can give honor to you, so I can extol you, heal me, give me more days so I can point more, point more people to you, so that you can use me. We often want God to extend our life so we can watch our favorite TV show more. We want God to extend our life so we can uh, eat at our favorite restaurant more. But here the posture is, God, extend my life so I can be used by you. And then I'll respond in a way that shows other people who you are. 
one of the applications here specifically is the one I have a hard time with, but maybe we'll work this into the service sometime. It says, you've turned my morning into dancing, okay? Uh, you've turned my morning into dancing. I know some of you are just dying to see me dance. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Uh, sackcloth means like the crummiest outfit, right? So if they were grieving or mourning over something, they'd wear sackcloth. Uh, sometimes they'd put ashes on themselves to symbolize on the outside their broken heart. And he says, you've, you've taken my clothing of grief and you've turned it into gladness. You, you've turned me around. You've changed my direction. And he says in verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. God, God gives us a reflected glory, right? God gives us gifts. He gives us strength. He gives us uh, beauty, intelligence, whatever it is. We all have different kinds of gifts, glories that he gives us to give back to him, to, to praise him. It says that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So his argument is, God, don't kill me so that you can use me, and then I'll glorify you. I'll take whatever glory you give me, and I'll push it back to you. I'll extol you with it. One of the best analogies I've used over the years for this, or the ones that's helped me the most, is kids in the kitchen. How many of you have kids? Anybody here? Okay, a few of you have kids. Now, is it easier to just make the meal yourself, or let them come in and help you make it? Yeah, it's a lot easier to just make it yourself. It'd be a lot easier for God to just do things himself, but he desires to use us in the process. He wants us to be in the kitchen, and he knows we're going to drop eggs on the floor. He knows there's going to be a mess, but he wants to use us. He wants to involve us in the process. And I know for some of you, you don't have kids, you can relate. Like if you have a roommate, there's a certain roommate you would never want in the kitchen too, right? So just to extend that metaphor a little more, God, God wants to involve us. Even though it's going to be more slow and more painful and there might be some eggshells in the cake, he wants to use us in the process. He wants to pull us into what he's doing in the world. And that's the, that's the basis of the argument that David's making here. It's like, will the dust be able to praise you? Will the dust be able to tell of your faithfulness? If I die, am I going to be able to show glory to you about how great you are? No. The argument is no. If I go down to the grave, I'm done. But God, you want me to be used in this world. You want me to sing of your praises. You want me to point other people to you. Because that's the kind of God we have, a God that wants to use us. A God that wants to use us to impact our family and our workplace, and our friends, and the community that we live in, he wants to use us to extend his blessing to the world around us. That's his goal for you. As you have a little time to reflect this week, some of you might get a few days off, some of you might get half a day off, right? But it's kind of a holiday time. Most of you will get a little time off to think, to reflect. As you're reflecting on what you're thankful for, what I would challenge you to do is to come up with a bucket list. Have you ever heard the phrase bucket list? People use that to talk about stuff you want to do before you die. But do it in this context. Say, God, I want you to extend my life, not so that I can watch my favorite TV show more, but so that I can do this. What's your dream? What do you fantasize about being used by God? How can he use you? In what ways can he bring you into his kitchen to, to bless this world, to sing praises to him, to help other people? What are some ways that you dream of God using you? And pray that prayer to him. God, extend my life so that I can praise you in this life in, in these ways. Start dreaming. Start coming up with a list of ways that you would like God to use you in this world. And that'll help, especially this time of year. We're so driven by consumerism, by what we can have, by what new things we can buy. This will help us have more of an outward focus as we pray about, God, how can you use me in new ways? God, put it in my mind, maybe even things I've never dreamed of before, ways that you want to use me to bless 
my neighbors, my family, my friends. Well, I want to conclude by just reminding us of a Thanksgiving story in the Gospels. There's a story in the Gospels where one uh, man gives thanks to Jesus. It's the story of the 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one comes back and says thank you to Jesus. It's interesting, the way that Jesus goes about the healing is he doesn't do it right on the spot. They come to him begging for help and he tells them to follow the normal religious and medical procedures of their day, which is to go and show themselves to the priests. And they had a a Levitical uh, requirement and regulation about how they would do that from the Old Testament law. So he said, basically, go follow those Old Testament regulations and you'll be healed. And along the way, they're miraculously healed. One of them comes back and thanks Jesus. Jesus makes a big deal out of this, like nobody else came back to thank you or to thank me. And what the text really emphasizes, and Luke emphasizes this a lot throughout his gospel, is that the one that was thankful was a Samaritan. And we know from biblical history and from the text that Samaritans were outsiders. They were what we would have considered cult members by our standards today. They were what we would consider a racial half-breed by our standards today. And so they were racial outsiders of the Jewish people, and they were religious cultish outsiders of the Jewish people. They didn't fit in. They didn't belong. What I want to press into you this morning is that's who all of us are. None of us have the rights to be in his family by birth. We need to be born again. None of us are born into the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God. None of us are righteous on our own. None of us are practicing the right religion on our own. We're all outsiders like the Samaritan, but when Jesus gets a hold of our heart, he transforms us and he brings us into his family. So here we are all this morning. We're all outsiders by some standard or by another, and God adopts us into his family. And because of that, we give thanks to him. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. We thank you that you adopt us into your family. We thank you that you've taken outsiders like us and you've made us insiders, sons and daughters of God, looking forward to enjoying our inheritance forever. We thank you, Lord, as well, that you want to use us in this world. So God, we pray that you would continue to transform us. Help us to recognize the healing that you've given us. Help us to be thankful for the correction that you give us and to be humble as you correct us. And then help us to, with reckless abandon, be used by you. As we, outsiders, recognize the adoption we have in you, that we would bring in other outsiders and we would praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.